Good morning, everybody. Before he gets out the door, could we give Rob a hand for covering last week? He did a great job. Really appreciated that. And he, uh, that's a tricky passage. It sounds real straight up till you start studying and then there's all kinds of catch-22 questions in there. And he did an excellent job with that. So really appreciate that. Also want to thank you um, uh, for letting Pam and I go last week to North Shore's 50th anniversary. Uh, it, it was a wonderful deal. And they did a fantastic job, and it's really great. It was funny, we saw half of us there, but it was really great to uh, just... Uh, it took me 35 minutes to get to the bathroom because I kept running into people who hadn't seen me for 30 years, right? It was just a, a great deal, but uh, North Shore's got momentum again, and it's rolling, and uh, man, it was just sweet. So they're celebrating 50, we're celebrating 20, and uh, it, was, it was a special shout-out to my friends, Gina and Linnea Risto, who founded the church back in the day, they're still kicking and going, and it was wonderful to just be a part. Uh, last January, we uh, agreed as a church to move ahead with a capital campaign. Do you remember that? We voted on that. We were talking about that to eliminate the debt um, from the loan uh, that it took to build out this building. And then we called it a war chest. So that we realized Margaret said, Steve, that's kind of a violent name. And I said, okay, what else could we call it? So we're going to call it a Kingdom Faith Fund instead, all right? But uh, build up for whatever the Lord would lead us. We, we talked about a church plant, talked about potentially buying this building. Uh, we weren't sure what the Lord was going to do, but we've had a history of God leading us to set up stuff beforehand, and then he reveals to us where it's supposed to go. So we, we talked about that. I just want to bring that back on your radar screen. I know it's been eight months, right? A lot can happen in eight months. Uh, but we'll be moving towards that in the next couple weeks. And uh, you'll, you'll get some letters in the mail and explaining things. And there's going to be several opportunities uh, to sign up for stuff. But that, uh, it's coming. And the whole goal is uh, to get out ahead of it and speed ahead the gospel. So that's what we're talking about. And um, I would just like to encourage us to enter into a season of prayer for that. A lot of times we go, oh, I don't know how we can give anything. Or this isn't, we're, we're not going whole hog on this in the sense that we're bringing in some group to tell us how to do it or we thought we don't need to do that this time. It's, it's either in us or it isn't. And one of the things we can do before we start getting there is just starting to pray, Lord, how could we give and, and that God would provide some miraculous ways for us to give. That's always been the really fun stories during and these, wow, we never thought this would happen and we're able to give in a way we hadn't thought. And uh, So I want you to begin to join me in praying that way and um, that we can uh, accomplish this together, all right? So just heads up, word to wise on that. All right, so take your Bibles. We're in uh, our series on Mark. By the way, it seems to be something that the Holy Spirit's doing. We went to uh, Dallas when we were taking Abby to school and we went to a church down there, a great church, and they were in a series on Mark. They were in Mark 8. They were one chapter behind us. And then went to Abilene. And Abby went to a new church. And she said, Dad, you won't believe what they're doing. It's the Gospel of Mark. So apparently that is the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit across a large part of the country. A lot of churches are doing the Gospel of Mark. So it feels kind of fun to do that. But uh, let's just do some backdrop and kind of where we've been. So... Uh, Last week, Rob was talking, and this is the Sea of Galilee. This is Galilee, the area of Galilee as it's known. 
The Decapolis there, you can see that it was an area of ten cities. That was largely a Gentile area. And Jesus would often go there. That's where the man who had legion was and, and that kind of stuff. You can see the towns that you recognize the name of. So this is where most of the stories that we've been talking about have occurred in this region right here. And then if we move just north, so you can still see the Sea of Galilee there. If you just go north, you can see Caesarea Philippi. And just north of that, that red and then the white top there, that's a, a mountain range. That's Mount Hermon. And so a lot of the stories that we've been covering uh, have taken place there. So uh, Jesus takes his disciples, they go up out of Galilee, and they go north. Now, this is news to a lot of people. A lot of people don't realize that Jesus actually went out of the vicinity. They kind of think of him as sort of like in Nazareth and Jerusalem, maybe Bethlehem because that's where he's born. And they don't realize he actually launched out north and also went west to Tyre and Sidon um, to get away from some of the pressure that was building with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Kind of it gave him some breathing room, right? He had, he had a chance to um, be with his disciples. It provided some training one-on-one -on -one time with his team. Uh, we don't know all of what was taught during that time, uh, be fascinating to be a little fly on the wall and hear the conversations that actually took place. But um, this is during the time when he's north here that he asked the question, who is it that people say that I am? And of course, they threw out the different options, right? John the Baptist risen from the dead or Elijah. And Peter famously answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That didn't come from you. That came from my Father in heaven. And what Jesus was saying there is, Simon, you know what? You pegged it accurately. You actually know who I am. Because there's a lot of, there was a lot of controversy back then about who Jesus is. And there's a lot of controversy today about who Jesus is. And um, he also was telling them about his pending death and resurrection of which, of course, Peter winds up on both sides of the coin on these deals, right? So Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter, right? And so uh, Peter kind of catches it a couple times. Then he took up here on Mount Hermon, took Peter, James, and John. This is literally where we said the, the pan religion, the gates of hell. It's right there. You can actually go there today and see it. And that he took Peter and James up on the mountain and was transfigured before them. And this is where we get that, where Hollywood gets it all from, is from this story. And then last week, Rob walked us through the story of when they came back down, they came to the villages in Caesarea Philippi, and uh, a man had brought his son to the disciples to cast a demon out. He had a demon that would throw him into the fire in the water, try to drown him or burn him alive and, and trying to kill him. And uh, they couldn't do it, and they rushed up to Jesus. And he said, if you could, would you please heal my son? He said, if I can... What do you mean if I can? Right? And Rob did a great job of, of peeling that out last week. And so now, here's where we find them, is that they're in Caesarea Philippi. And now they're going to head from that. They're going to head back down to Galilee. Um, and this is where we pick up the action this morning. Before we do that, probably wise to pray. Don't you think? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you this morning. I'm reminded every Sunday that every Sunday is a miracle. And every Sunday is really dynamic. Lord, we have really busy, fast-paced lives. And some of that is really good. Some of that's really bad. And some of us probably had the week go the way it was supposed to. 
And we're, we're excited and rolling and, and on top of it. And others, it probably didn't go anywhere close to expectations. And, and we're struggling and, and battling with that. Lord, some of us probably feel real confident with you right now. Some of us might feel really insecure. Some of us might feel really clean. We had a great week and some of us might feel pretty dirty. We're kind of wallowing back in the vomit and the muck of our old sin and just feeling mucked up and would have a hard time looking you in the eye. Some of us, Lord, have had uh, victory this week. Lord, some of us have had defeat. Some of us have great health. Some of us are really struggling health-wise. It's that this mix, Lord, that we ask you to enter into. This is not a human enterprise, as although it does involve humans. But this is what you've set up, the foolishness of preaching the gospel. And you said you would build your church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We're talking about the very area where you stood and said those words. And Lord, that's as true for today as it, it, was, as it was back then. Back then you didn't look like you were winning. Right now it doesn't look like you're winning. But Lord, we pray this morning that you'll just be among us. We covet your manifest presence. We believe that you can talk and have conversations with us. And as I'm going along the sermon, you can point out something and, and catch it in such a way that the person will think they're the only person in the room and that the pastor's talking direct at them. But that's not really me. It's, it's your Holy Spirit. So be at work among us. Be our dad. Minister to us this morning. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so let's start Mark chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 30. Oops, I went backwards. Sorry, I've got to go forwards. And we're going to start with, with this right here. It says, So they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for, <coughs> excuse me, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days he will rise. <coughs> but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So as they head south, they come off of Mount Hermon, they come down back to Caesarea Philippi. Now they're heading back to Galilee. And uh, Jesus is taking some precautions so that people don't really know. So uh, scholars don't really know, does that mean he just avoided the main roads and took side paths? Or did they walk at different times of the day? Or how did they they do that? But that was kind of how it was set up. And then there's this element, uh, this other element here that we find that is kind of a shift in the course of Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, it's been uh, in Galilee and then north, and uh, we read about people coming down from Jerusalem. The reason it says in Scripture coming down is because Jerusalem's up on the mountain, right? So they come down to the other places. And, uh, but the expositor's uh, Bible commentary points out that there's a very definite turn or shift right now in Jesus' ministry. Jesus now begins to end his Galilean ministry that we just looked at, and he turns his attention southward. Jesus now heads towards Jerusalem, for it is Jerusalem that he now charts his course. Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum to Jerusalem. With every step, the intensity and danger will grow, and Jesus knows this. And so for the second time, Jesus tells them, of his impending death. If you look at those verses again, look at what he says. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. 
And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. There's a common narrative outside of the church, if you talk with anybody outside who doesn't attend church at all. And it kind of goes like this. Jesus was a pretty cool dude, and he was an amazing teacher, and he had some incredible gifts um, and, and certainly some amazing abilities. But he never claimed to be God, and he never intended for his followers to claim that for him. And he never really anticipated losing his life over the whole deal. He was just rather naive, launched into some political things that he didn't account well for, and it ended up costing him his life. And so in this section, they say, well, he's sort of heading to Jerusalem, hoping that he can sort this whole thing out and then keep on going. But unfortunately, uh, he ends up dying instead. And then the story goes on further that they, the disciples later to be known as the apostles, came up with all the God stuff after his death as a way to perpetuate his memory and enhance it. And the gist of the whole idea is that Jesus never intended to die and he never intended to claim to be God. It just kind of got, it grew on like ivory after a piece. And that's what we're stuck with now later. <clears throat> but this passage here that we're reading and several others like it show very clearly that Jesus knew exactly what his mission was and that he would have to die for the sins of the world. And he also very clearly knew and fully intended to rise from the dead on the third day. That this wasn't an add-on. It wasn't, oh, by the way, I stumbled on it and somehow uh, I got healed in the cave from the coolness of the rock and I sprung back up so it made for a really cool story. That's not how that went. Jesus is telling this beforehand, long before he gets to Jerusalem, of how it's going to play out. And his direction towards Jerusalem is very intentional, even though he knew the outcome. A passage in Luke uh, validates this viewpoint here. Let's look at what it has to say in Luke. It says, At that very hour some Pharisees came to him and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Remember Herod is the Herod, uh, the fox that uh, had John the Baptist beheaded in, in, in his palace because his daughter had danced for him and he had promised it to her. He says, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. Here's what you come away with when, when you read the Gospels. If you've spent any time at all in them, if you've never read them, you really should for yourself. And one of the things you come away from is that for all the moving parts and casts and characters that are involved, it comes away, you come away with the feeling Jesus is in charge of this whole thing. He's actually in control of the schedule. He's actually walking it out and it's, it's circling around not it, it. It's circling around him, not him circling around it. And you come away with this is something that's being played out that's very, very intentional. Uh, in this encounter here, uh, by the way, it doesn't seem that these people, uh, these Pharisees were antagonistic. It seems like they were genuinely trying to warn him of Herod. And Jesus says, go tell that fox this. And what he point, he's pointing out to them is that, um, behold, I cast out demon, performs cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. He had mentioned in a number of other places that he would rise again on the third day. And so he heads, points his course to Jerusalem. And this is highlighted and underscored in the Gospel of Luke. This is also something that 
you'd be very familiar with if you read especially the Old Testament and you're familiar with Jerusalem and the center point that it is. And Luke 13 says this, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be said that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And by the way, when he's saying that there and speaking that, he's speaking that in the first person as he is the one who sent those um, prophets and the ones who were sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this foresees when at the crucifixion site, and Pontius Pilate says, What am I to do with Jesus? Uh, and they said, Crucify him. And Pontius Pilate washed his hands. And the crowd said, Let his blood be on us and on our children. One of the most frightening statements in the history of the world. And it has been ever since. But Jesus will come back for his people. And when he does, they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord says, that they will say they will look on the one whom they have pierced. So it's very powerful. In the Gospel of John, he outlines God's sovereign plan. And that's what we're really looking at here. This is not happenstance. This is, not, this is incredibly intentional. And that God is in control and orchestrating the present events that we're talking about. And that he, Jesus, and here's a key part, He, Jesus, has agreed to submit to the Father and this plan for the sake of the world. John 14, he's talking, he says this, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, now let us leave. The picture of Jesus as some stumbling itinerant teacher who miscalculated and unfortunately was killed does not mesh with the facts. Jesus was very aware that he had to die. And it was one of his central teachings to his disciples. He's repeated it already uh, twice here in Mark as we've gone along. It becomes one of his central teachings. And as they end the Galilean ministry period, it says they began to resolutely move towards Jerusalem. So it wasn't Jesus who had a problem with what the plan was and what his death would be. It was other people who had the problem, like Peter, who said, Lord, forbid that this should ever happen to you. And Jesus said, what to him? Satan, get behind me. You are not thinking of the things of God. You're thinking of the things of men. Luke says that Jesus set his face, means resolute, means determined, okay? Peter later would recognize this, right? They didn't get it all at the time. But later when Peter looked back on this and he looked back at this whole episode of Mount Hermon and what we're talking about, he saw something in it that he hadn't seen when it was actually happening. And he started, and and Peter himself realized it was no accident or miscalculation. He would speak in these words in the book of Acts. He's speaking to a crowd of 3,000. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I raised my voice because he was speaking to 3,000 people. Right? I thought you should get the tone of that right. So here's a re- this is a really important moment and a big deal as they come into Capernaum. And something else develops while the team is making its way south that kind of is enfolded into this whole discussion. It seems sort of separate from it, but it's not really. Jesus, as good, as good leaders often do, if a, you've got a good leader, they keep their pulse on the team and whether the tone is staying healthy or not. Jesus uh, picks up on something that's going on with his team and as is his custom, he starts the inquiry off with a question. By the way, I don't know if you realize this, but God is really good at asking questions. You ever notice in Scripture somebody will ask Jesus a question and then he'll flip it back with another question, right? Have you ever been in prayer with God and you've been telling God all the things you need and then God asks you a question? I, 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 I don't want a question. I want you to fix this, right? God knows how to do that. And so he does that right here with the disciples. And here's the question says they came to Capernaum, right? So they're back down to where they started. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. There is a humongous pink elephant in the room. Okay? They just got caught. Nobody's going to admit they got caught. But they're all looking at the floor and nobody's going to be the first to speak because they know they're all going under the bus if the bus goes, right? And so it says they all were silent because why? Along the way, they had started to argue about who was the greatest. Why? What what was setting this up? You know, if you think about walking on a trail, and we're familiar with this in the Northwest, trails are kind of narrow, so you can't always put... 15 people side by side on them. You got to you kind of string along, right? And as they got strung along and they're talking, Jesus probably somewhere in the pack somewhere and others, and they started uh, arguing, it says here. Uh, I would use the word bicker, right? They were bickering with each other about who was the greatest. What were they doing? Well, they were, they were jostling for position. Their perception filters were still on. Right? They were not hearing what Jesus was telling them because they were sure the way they had it was right and they had it pegged. So they sort of kind of were listening, but not really. What was the filter? Jesus is the conquering Messiah. This is the son of, this is who we've been waiting for for 3,000 years. This is like the dude. And we're, yeah, Jerusalem, we're going. This is where it's going to happen, baby. And when he gets there, he's going to overturn. He's going to throw out the Romans. And we're going to be made the head again. And we won't be the tail anymore. And he's going to rule. And the kingdom's going to be ushered in. And guess what? We're his team. We're the guys. We're the dudes. We're going to be, we've got to be in the central one. Now, that's not enough. Who's going to be the top? Like, I mean, there's going to be accolades. And there's going to be position. And there's going to be honor. And there's going to be, man, dude, we're going to look sweet. And, and I'm going to, no, you're not. I'm ahead of you. No, I am not. You're not. Right? You ever have brothers fight over that? Who's, who's the bigger, badder dude in the house? We had five of us. It was great. Pig piles. Oh, bigger than you. No, you're, you're stupid. Shut up. You know? And the disciples are doing that kind of thing. They're back and forth. Because why? They are jostling for position. They weren't hearing the I must die part. That just went, right? 
And so as they began to turn to Jerusalem, obviously that's where and when the kingdom was grow out. So they did what we do. They started queuing up, right? Just like when the doors open for a concert or a football game, right? You ever see those nice lines? And, uh, and then as soon as the doors open, what happened? <laughs> right? People cutting in and doing all this kind of stuff. We were at Ikea yesterday for four hours <laughs> in five different lines. And the same thing happened, right? And I was laughing, one, because I was mad as heck they took my spot in the line, and two, that I was preaching on it this morning and I had to be obedient, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I, you know, so I mean, but don't we do that, right? We find ways to cut the line and that's, that's kind of what they were doing. Jesus, though, knows what's ahead. And not only does he know what's ahead for him, He knows what's ahead for them. He knows not only what he's going to go through, he knows what they're going to go through. He sees, he understands the price tag and he knows that they don't. And he also realizes that bucking it straight up is not going to work. He's done that to them and they're missing it. So like any great teacher, he realizes they aren't listening right now. And so he's got to do something out of the box to catch their attention. And so Jesus does something really ingenious. He just does something that's absolutely brilliant. He attacks the reality from a different angle. He uses an object lesson, a child, to illustrate the point. It says this, And he sat down and he called the twelve. This is... By the way, so immediately, so they had been arguing. He says, what were you talking about on the road? Nobody would talk. So then he calls them to him and he does this. And he says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him, this child, in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus, with this picture, just throws a monkey wrench into the value system of the disciples. If anyone would be first, he must be last. What? Right? Don't we do the same thing? And a servant of all. Can you? That must have been so dissonant with the conversation that they had just had about who was the greatest. Right? You ever had you? Ah, wow! What happened to the discussion? Right? Took the wheels off the car. They had the value system, and by the way, I think we understand this. Being you know Americans, United States of America people, we are uh, get her done people. Right? We're not known for our patience, and uh, we're bugged that God put that in the Bible, and we just want to haul. Let's let's move. And they had that value system much like we do. He who is first is first. Nobody else matters or is remembered. Right? I mean, just think through sports teams like Super Bowls. You can probably name the last few, probably a couple Super Bowl winners. Can you name who was second? And that would be true for basketball. Somebody said a wisecrack in first service, but yeah. But that would be true for all the teams, right? If you're first, you're it. If you're not, you're nothing. Teams have really good years. Teams have 10 wins. Teams have 13 wins. Some teams go to the playoffs have never been there before. Does that count or matter? 
No, because you weren't first. And so what we in our culture have is if you're first, you're best. If you're first, you're worth. If you're not, you're not. You're out. Okay? And we just go struggle with that. And so whatever it takes to be first, do it. Even if it means shoving your friend or brother or sister aside and under the bus. Sorry, Aunt Gladys, but I'll help you after I get through this. Right? Kind of thing. We, we do that. In Matthew, Jesus is quoted saying, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Servant of all. What, what, is that, what does that mean? Needless to say, they were not in a servant mode, right? They would be in what we call a leadership mode. I'm a significant leader. You need to pay attention to me. And I'm more of a leader than you are. So you better defer honor to me because in the kingdom, when we get to Jerusalem, Jesus rolls it out. I'm the dude you're going to be coming and talking to. Oh, no, you're not. I am. Shut up. Right? Kind of thing. I have said before, and it's still really true, we all love the idea of being a servant. It sounds so spiritual and holy until we're treated like one. Then our dander kits kicked up pretty quick. And if you think about it, the brilliance of this illustration, when you think of high command, when you think of uh, big deals, when you think of power, when you think of corporations, uh, children don't really matter that much in that scheme of things, right? And Jesus, knowing that, uh, takes this child and he puts the child in the midst of them. And then it says he took them, took that child in his arms. Um, we don't we don't know if it was a him or her. We don't know if it's a boy or girl. Doesn't tell us. But Jesus shows us how close uh, to his heart children are when he says that one who receives a child receives not only him but also the one who sent him, his father in heaven. Jesus is saying it's children, people who don't hold great prestige or value in our culture, are the ones that are held close to the heart of God. He's reversing the tables here. Here's the point. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be willing to be, listen to me like a child would. You've got to let me hold you in your arms. When's the last time we just sat with Jesus instead of telling him what he should be doing? Like a child just sat and said, hey, I'd like, can I sit with you? For guys, man, that just right blows our circuits because stopping is just hard. Because we want to keep moving. But when was the last time we did that? There's something else going on here that that I really feel like the Lord gave it to me. Jesus is modeling something for them that they will only pick up after the resurrection. Right? They don't they're not going to get it now. But after the resurrection, they get it, they recall this point in Jesus' ministry, and they go, Aha, the light bulb comes on. What Jesus is doing here is modeling the very humility he's asking from them. Now stop for a second. How much humility would it take being God to become a man? Think about that once. Not just in a head way, but think about that once. What would that be like to give up that position for this position and say that it was worth it. Jesus, while they were there, they didn't even realize that he was modeling humility for them. 
Jesus, who though he's in the form, NIV would use the nature of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it was to that death, it was towards Jerusalem, that he now sets his face and his course. And the disciples don't get it. And I want to suggest most of the time, neither do we. Although, hopefully we're growing in it. Here's what we don't get. What was Jesus modeling for them? The course of humility was the course of suffering. It wasn't to power or fame or those kind of things as we think. It was the course of humility was the course of suffering. Jesus was getting ready to pick up his cross the way that he was to die. And Jesus was modeling something for us that's just as hard for us to grasp as it was for the disciples. He told them just a week or so before he'd outlined to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, we're pretty close to the disciples. We think of Jesus' glorious turn. We're not the Jews. We're the church. We're the Christians. That suffering and stuff, that all that stuff, that's already gone. Now he's going to come back, right? And he's going to set everything right and, and the church will be his bride or we're going to be raptured. We won't even have to go through it. We'll be able to be taken out. And we think, yeah, this is great. We don't think about as his coming gets closer, the way of the cross may be our way and that we actually will have to suffer. By the way, I don't like this message any more than you do, so just... Okay. But I want to suggest something that Jesus is modeling. Here's how he was modeling it. This will blow your mind. When he took that child and he put that child in front of him and he said, and then he took the child in his arms and said, anyone who's going to be like the father has to become like this child. Notice in that story, the child lets Jesus hold him. We don't know who the child was. Wouldn't it be interesting to know the story of that child, what happened after? Always there's places in the Bible like that. Always intrigue me. But the picture he's modeling for him is this. He's that child. Jesus is the child he's speaking of. He's the child in the Father's arms. But in John, he said, I have come to do exactly as my Father has asked. Come now, let us go. Jesus was indicating that he was in submission to the Father's plan. Was it a plan that was necessarily in benefit of Jesus himself? No. Was it a plan that was in the benefit of many other people? Yes. But he was modeling that. He was saying, as I am submitted to my Father's plan, so you should be submitted to my plan. Not often do we think that the way of heaven is the way of cross and it involves suffering. We've been marvelously spared. But that, that period might be coming to a close in our country. 
there's all kinds of indicators that say uh, Christians will no longer be the most popular group in the country. That it actually might be the way of the cross. And here's the question this morning as I was thinking about this and going through it. Jesus was trying to get the disciples to understand it. They didn't understand it till after the resurrection. But the question is this. If the way to heaven is the way of suffering, would you still choose it? If it wasn't, I get more stuff. If it wasn't, it's all going to go good. If it wasn't, I get to go where I want to go. If it wasn't, things will work out good for me. But it was, it's going to be a way of suffering. Would you still choose it? Let's pray this morning. Father, that question, I, I want it to linger. I want us to wrestle with it. It's a difficult question. It's a very biblical question. There's probably not hardly a person in this room that doesn't know those scriptures well and doesn't, hasn't gone through them and wrestled with them themselves. And Lord, the theme of you rescuing us out of danger is all over the Bible. But also the theme of your people going through suffering is all over the Bible. Probably the place that blends those two the best is Hebrews chapter 11 where it points out some conquered kingdoms and some did all these great things and others wandered through trackless places and deserts and hidden caves and rocks because they wanted a better resurrection. We don't know which is ours. But like the disciples, we sometimes we probably don't listen the best. And you were warning that the way of the cross was the way we had to go. You were warning that uh, it was the way of the servant. Help us embrace that role. Help us to understand your heart behind it. I give that to you in your name. Amen.